and welcome to You News for this Monday, February 24th. I'm Andrea Linares. After a major win in Nevada, Bernie Sanders' momentum now growing. The progressive candidate now looking ahead to South Carolina. Coronavirus now reported in Italy and Iran, while back here in the U.S., the stock market plummeting because of growing fears surrounding this outbreak. And the Los Angeles community, along with those around the country, saying goodbye to a basketball legend today. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin this hour with disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein found guilty on two counts in his sexual assault trial. A jury saying Weinstein is guilty of committing a criminal sex act in the first degree and rape in the third degree. But that jury acquitting Weinstein on the more serious charges of predatory sexual assault. The former A-list producer will now face five to 25 years in prison on the first charge and probation to four years in prison for the rape charge. The judge has ordered Weinstein to jail immediately until his sentencing on March 11th. Weinstein is also facing charges in Los Angeles, where he's accused of raping one woman and sexually assaulting another woman back in the year 2013. a big victory this weekend for Bernie Sanders, the Democratic frontrunner, now after capturing 47% of the vote at the Nevada caucuses, setting up what could be a very decisive showdown with Joe Biden in South Carolina. We are in this together. Senator Bernie Sanders is on a roll with another win in Saturday's Nevada caucuses and potentially picking up wins in South Carolina and Super Tuesday. I've been hearing, you know, the establishment is getting a little bit nervous about our campaign. If the cameras turn on this crowd and our friends in Wall Street and the drug companies see this kind of crowd, you're going to really get them nervous. The Democratic Socialist not only taking the silver state, but beating his rivals among Latinos, winning both men and women, college and non-college graduates, and even scoring votes from moderates. Meanwhile, Joe Biden praying in South Carolina, and its core base of black voters will be his campaign's lifeline, providing his first victory of primary season. Folks, the vote is in your hands, not a joke. You can control this outcome. The former vice president stressing his goal is to defeat President Trump no matter what, something he believes Sanders cannot do. I'd like whomever the Democrat is to beat Donald Trump. I'd vote for Mickey Mouse against Donald Trump. Sure, but, but do you think he can win? The answer is I, I don't think he can beat Donald Trump. He may have all this enthusiasm and he's got great supporters. I don't disagree with that. But we have to be able to win and win Senate seats as well. And then there's Pete Buttigieg's campaign, which is alleging some voting irregularities in Nevada's caucuses vote. The campaign writing a letter to the Nevada State Democratic Party on Sunday. The communications director for the Nevada State Democratic Party says it continues to verify and report results. Others in the crowded field of moderates are feeling the pressure to prove themselves or risk simply knocking each other out, clearing the path for Bernie Sanders. The former New York mayor, Michael Bloomberg, skipping the first four contests, focusing on the Super Tuesday states. 
Meanwhile, officials in Nevada were in overdrive trying to avoid a repeat of the Iowa caucus. So did those efforts pay off? Let's go to Maggie McAlpine. She's the co-founder of Nordic Innovation Labs, a consultancy firm focused on election security. Thanks so much for joining us today, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me. So you were tracking the Nevada caucus. Did you happen to see any issues there? So the one thing that I saw was that there was some reports of the phone lines being delayed, and that was my biggest um, focus of concern. But it seems like they, they've gotten all the results in now. And I was very heartened by the fact that they had so many paper redundancies. So Nevada was supposed to actually use the same app that was used in Iowa, but officials then decided to change that plan after this big fiasco went down. How did Nevada end up tabulating results this time around, and how have they actually done it in the past? So I'm not so familiar with what they've done in the past. Uh, my focus is on technology and voting. But this year they uh, switched, as I understand, to Google Forms, which I actually applaud them for that decision, uh, given that it's a, just a more robust, better tested software and uh, you know just works better in the many, many places and situations and tech levels that would be needed. We know that officials in Nevada also hired a call center with about 200 operators, again, hoping to avoid that meltdown that we saw in Iowa. How were those phone operators used? Can you explain that? Well, as I understand, they were used for the reporting and the uh, backup supposedly came from the fact that it takes about 15 minutes to go down the sheets uh, to report all the numbers. But that in itself uh, shouldn't explain why the backup got so bad. And now I looked into this and apparently they ended up texting the, uh, the people on the ground new numbers in the middle of it. And those numbers worked right away. And I'm glad that that worked. And uh, there's definitely some question about why the original numbers weren't working. But I would say that in the future, that would absolutely absolutely be a line of attack, which is that I could potentially text all these people with supposedly a new number and then just pretend that I was the person they were supposed to report their results to and, uh, while being an attacker, while being an un, you know, unknown third party and uh, potentially delay matters further or, or cause more chaos. So while this did work and I'm glad it worked, uh, that, that in the future could be a very dangerous angle. Now talking about the future, what would you say is the lesson from Iowa in terms of election and technology as we move closer to the general election in November? So caucuses are very different from, you know, the way primaries and general elections are generally run. But I definitely think this is an excellent example of what um, security experts in the elections fields have been saying for a long time. Internet voting is extremely dangerous. The only reason that this worked was because there were so many paper redundancies that when the reporting and the app broke down, the results were never lost. The results were never hackable. But if you were to, for example, have done what was originally proposed, which is only uh, calculate the results on uh, an iPad or an app. and uh, for example, those have been lost or hacked, there'd be no way to reconstruct the results. And that would have been a complete catastrophe. Uh, and that's the number one reason that uh, uh, internet voting is so vulnerable and why experts are so adamant that it should never happen. Well, thank you so much for an analyzing this whole situation and how the Nevada caucus went, Maggie McAlpine. And now moving on as Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders surges in popularity, a potential stumble after his comments on communist leader Fidel Castro are drawing criticism. Let's go to Janet Rodriguez. She's in Washington, D.C. with all those details. Janet. That's right, and Sanders' socialist ideas are nothing new, but last night's interview brought up a new wave of criticism when 
uh, Anderson Cooper, the host that was doing the interview, played a clip of Sanders from the 1980s defending the Soviet Union, defending uh, what seemed to be defending the Sandinistas in Nicaragua and the Cuban Revolution and Fidel Castro. He went further on to ask this question of Sanders, and here was his response. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right, and we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a great friend of mine. Now, that response elicited many commentary from the, especially from the Cuban American delegation in Congress who quickly condemned those comments. They have been fighting against Cuba, against Fidel for many years here in Congress. And basically, Marco Rubio, one of the central figures in that fight, had this to say over Twitter. The central promise every Marxist makes is that if we give up some of our individual freedom, the state will provide us more security, like free health care and education. But ultimately, Ultimately, Marxist fails to deliver security if you don't have the freedom to do anything about it. That's uh, basically the message from congressional leaders, Cuban-American congressional leaders here in Congress. Now, among Democrats themselves, obviously, Marco Rubio being a Republican, he will be against Bernie Sanders no matter what. But the worry among many Democrats today is that this will become a divisive issue among Latinos that they need to win in South Florida in order to beat President Donald Trump. We heard from a Democrat today who told us that if Bernie Sanders does become the nominee, they are they will lose and he continues with the, the messaging and even with this clips keep playing in South Florida they will lose that state and President Donald Trump will once again will win Florida so that's the main concern that Bernie Sanders with the socialist messaging will be very divisive along the Hispanic community although we do have to say that many do believe that Bernie Sanders will still go on and win uh, Latinos in Michigan and in other states where the working class Latinos feel that he will do good for the economy and for their jobs overall. So a very divisive day here in Congress amongst the Hispanic Americans and also amongst the Democrats who fear this messaging taking a toll in the Bernie Sanders candidacy and the Democratic Party overall. Back to you. Thank you, Janet Rodriguez. Meanwhile, President Trump's battle against his own intelligence apparatus continues. More departures are now expected after the recent and controversial appointment of Richard Grinnell as acting director of national intelligence. Grinnell, the current U.S. ambassador to Germany, was tapped by President Trump last week to replace Joseph McGuire. Only days later, Grinnell forced out the number two intelligence official, Andrew Hallman. Some career intelligence officials are worried that Shelby Pearson might be next. Pearson led a recent House Intelligence Committee briefing that revealed an assessment that Russia was attempting to help President Trump by interfering in this year's election. And speaking of that testimony, a new report from U.S. security officials says that despite that evidence of Russian interference, those foreign efforts might not be specifically aimed at helping President Trump get reelected. Three U.S. intelligence experts say the official who briefed lawmakers this month missed an important nuance. They say evidence does show Russia is trying to interfere with the election, and it shows Russia views the president as someone that 
that country can actually work with. But the evidence does not explicitly prove Russia is trying to get Trump reelected. And now from Washington to Los Angeles, Lakers legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna are being remembered today as fans gather at the Staples Center for what Bryant's wife has called a celebration of life. Paola Byron has all the details. Thousands of mourners are expected to gather at the Staples Center in Los Angeles today to remember Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna. It's been nearly a month since they died in a helicopter crash near Calabasas, California, along with seven other people. In the days following the crash, nearly a quarter of a million people paid tribute to the Lakers legend outside the arena, leaving flowers and balloons and writing messages of support. But today, police will be setting up checkpoints. If you don't have tickets and credentials, that you'll not be allowed into this venue. The screens outside the Staples Center, as well as in restaurants in the area, will not be broadcasting the service. I grew up here in Long Beach. I mean, it's emotional for me still. The event sold out. Organizers distributing nearly 20,000 tickets, but at least 90,000 registered to attend. He touched a lot of lives here, and, you know, it's sad that everyone can't attend. Brian's widow Vanessa calling the memorial a celebration of life and the date 224 significant, representing the numbers Gianna and Kobe wore on their uniforms. And for those attending, they are being asked not to bring signs or flowers to the Staples Center, but instead they can honor Kobe and Gianna by making contributions to the Mamba and Mambasita Sports Foundation, the newly renamed nonprofit which provides opportunities to young people through sports. Paola Byron. You News. The number of deaths from the novel coronavirus has risen to more than 2,600 worldwide. This as cases are growing in Europe, spreading fear that the disease might soar in that continent. South Korea and Iran also taking some increasing precautionary measures as officials here in the U.S. debate next steps to take. Lorraine Gassides has the latest. Three new outbreak clusters emerging as the coronavirus makes its journey around the globe. Europe now on edge as the number of cases soars to 150 in Italy, the most outside of Asia. Entire communities now on lockdown. Villages usually bustling with tourists now turned into ghost towns. So far, at least five people have died. There are lots of elderly people, uh, mostly, and there are babies. I've got a three-week-old cousin. So we're scared for them. In Venice, the carnival festival has been canceled. And in Milan, officials taking precautions, fashion shows empty, as officials try to figure out the source of the outbreak. People are stocking up on food and people are scared to use public transportation. In Iran, at least 12 people have died, cases popping up in five cities around the country. While in South Korea, cases have risen to 760. The president putting the country on red alert, the highest level for infectious diseases. In the U.S., there are now more than 35 cases. This as officials deal with continuing fallout over their decision to airlift more than a dozen Diamond Princess cruise ships passengers who had tested positive for coronavirus on the same planes with passengers who were not infected, flying together for hours from Japan to the U.S. last week. When you make those kind of complicated decisions, there are going to be different perspectives that are brought to the table. 
Officials responding to a Washington Post report saying the Centers for Disease Control did not want to fly the infected passengers on the same planes as non-infected people, but the State Department did and got its way. State Department officials saying there was, quote, robust interagency discussion. At the end of the day, the State Department had a decision to make informed by our interagency partners, and we went ahead and made that decision. And the decision, I think, was the right one uh, in bringing those people home. In Alabama, a community fighting back to prevent those passengers from the Diamond Princess from being quarantined in a FEMA facility close by. It spreads from here, it's going to spread everywhere else. A similar fight in California. A judge issuing a temporary restraining order to halt the use of a facility in Costa Mesa. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's putting more people at risk. Meanwhile, for passengers of the Diamond Princess like Rebecca and Kent Frazier, the nightmare seems to have no end in sight. Both still stuck in Japan after she tested positive, even though she's never showed any symptoms. Both laying eyes on each other for the first time in two weeks. I can't see you. I know. <laughs> Hopefully you get out soon. The world economy took a hit today. Stocks plummeting, the Dow losing all of the 2020 gains. Meanwhile, the State Department is now issuing new guidance against taking any cruises in Asia. It says Americans who get sick in Asia can no longer expect to be repatriated. The U.S. and the White uh, the, to the U.S. Sorry, and the White House is getting ready to ask Congress for some more money this week to prevent the massive spread. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Dominicans inside their country as well as abroad expressing anger and frustration following the suspension of municipal elections just over one week ago. Dominican citizens residing in Puerto Rico took to the streets on Saturday carrying their nation's flag along with banners demanding the resignation of election officials. Several other cities across the U.S. and Europe also seeing hundreds marching in solidarity with those on the island. Meanwhile, in neighboring off-duty police officers exchanged gunfire with members of the newly reconstituted Haitian army in front of the National Palace on Sunday. The incident, a dangerous escalation of protests over police pay and working conditions in the capital. Meanwhile, in Venezuela, a U.N. report says that one of every three people is facing hunger. This as the nation's severe economic contraction and political upheaval persists. According to U.N. officials, a total of 9.3 million people are moderately or severely food insecure. The study was conducted at the invitation of the Venezuelan government. And the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Venezuela has led to a mass exodus, with neighboring Colombia being one of the most popular destinations for desperate nationals. But some Colombians are becoming resentful of the new arrivals, with scenes at times getting ugly. Here's Nidia Cavazos. 
The number of people from Venezuela arriving in Colombia keeps growing after more and more people continue to feel forced to flee their homes in the midst of social, political and economic unrest. The many Venezuelans are feeling increasingly marginalized by their Colombian neighbors. Yes, I'm Colombian and you are Veneco, an invader. Get out of here. This woman took her anger out on two Venezuelans on a Bogota street corner. You get out of here now. This is a residential area and you don't have to come and invade my space. The madam, you stay out of it. She hurled xenophobic insults while one of the targets of her vitriol recorded her with a cell phone. You shut up because you have no say in this country. You shut up. The video was uploaded to social media and immediately triggered voices of protest. We don't really share that way of thinking, that way of talking. We don't share that attitude and it should somehow be sanctioned. Witnesses at the scene claim that this is not the first time this has happened. She is rude to all Venezuelans. More than five people have been insulted by the woman. She calls them names, everything, and tells them they should leave. According to the most recent official count, more than 1.64 million Venezuelans have already arrived in Colombia due to the exodus caused by the ongoing humanitarian crisis at home. Reported by Yesid Baquero in Bogota, Colombia, this is Nide Cavazos for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.